Hey everybody, Jason here. Before I get started, I wanted to give a flag for this episode. This one's unique uh, relative to the ones that I've done on the Shelf Stories and also on the One Stop Co-op Shop. My guest today is Derek Liam. He is the former lead designer for Broken Token Organizers and Inserts, worked there for about five plus years and was let go six months ago. Join the show as part of my Industry Nuts and Bolts series where I take a look under the hood and see how the games and the products and all the other stuff that is involved in our hobby actually comes to the table for us. Derek has some difficult um, experiences to share and I wanted to give him a form with respect uh, and let him tell his story. It is a story of workplace culture, of difficult issues with pay and uh, autonomy. A lot of different things are going to be shared. Uh, and a lot will be said relative to the leadership style of the former CEO of Broken Token, Greg Spence. So I wanted to say two things before we get started. Number one, this episode is not any kind of hit piece or anything salacious. I hope that I've built the trust with the viewers of Shelf Stories to know that I approach everything that I do in a spirit of education and compassion. Uh, this is to highlight issues that have gone on in the hobby. Uh, I believe that Broken Token is emblematic of some of the practices that happen at other places and workers who um, bring us the games may have difficult stories to share as well. And I want to provide a platform for that kind of story. Secondly, I did reach out to Broken Token, uh, the current uh, regime, uh, and they responded and they said that they uh, were okay with uh, me proceeding and that once they saw the episode, they will be willing to interact with me and move the conversation forward, uh, reassuring that the new regime has kind of take or at least trying to take a different course. So uh, without all that out of the way, there'll be more preface to come when I start the episode. Can't be too careful when it comes to this stuff, but I think the story is very important. On to the show. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also, welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest industry nuts and bolts series where I look into the industry uh, and get real stories about what's going on and how our games get to the table. Uh, this one is going to be a very different episode. Very, very different. Uh, you know, I try to uh, invite people on. We have some laughs as we're talking about the stuff that goes on uh, in the industry. This one is going to go in a much different direction. I want to flag that for people right away. Uh, but first, I'm going to introduce my guest, and then I'll introduce the theme of the show. Uh, he is Derek Liam. He is the former uh, lead designer of inserts from Broken Token, uh, the ways that we solve our uh, problems with gaming storage is, you know, get a Broken Token insert, while the man that is responsible for so much of that stuff has decided to join me on the show, and I couldn't be happier. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you for having me, Jason. It's a uh... Really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, you you hit me up uh, <laughs> and you had something interesting to say. So normally I would love to have like a, a happy conversation. How do inserts work? Where do I, you know, uh, you know, what's the design process? And where do we get the materials from? And blah, 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 blah. Uh, why are they so expensive? Uh, <laughs> all that kind of thing. Uh, and I mean, hopefully we can get to that, you know, down the road. But today it's going to be a very different discussion. 
Derek is a six-year veteran of Broken Token. No longer works there, was let go uh, during the kerfuffle that happened uh, with another employee, Ashley Taylor. They downsized uh, dramatically after that incident, and Derek was one of the people that were let go. Uh, this was about six or so months ago. Uh, and Derek felt it important to say things about his experience. It was not a positive experience. Uh, I mean, is that the best way that I can do it? Because you did put up a blog, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's such a big spag because, like, uh, I loved working at the Broken Token. Um, I loved what I did. Uh, and, um, but, yeah, overall, uh, it's kind of left me broken, um, to say the least. Uh, it was oppressive at times. Um, and for something that brought me so much joy, it's uh, still really kind of a trip to think about how uh, far it fell, um, especially in the last couple of years. So we're going to get into all of that. So it's going to be a very serious uh, conversation. So the I want to set the scene. I want to make some things very, very clear. Um, this podcast does not seek to judge anybody. Uh, I am not going to sit here and say that whoever's in charge of Broken Token or the people that we're going to talk about, anybody that we talk about in this episode, I will not judge. I will not say, okay, this person's bad, this person's whatever. Uh, this is a testimonial. This is one person's story building upon something we've already read. You know, Ashley Taylor put out a blog about her experience, which we will not discuss because that is her story to tell. We're going to talk, we're gonna, um, talk about Derek's story, which is very different, but coincides with it in the sense that Broken Token was a difficult place to work in the testimonial of these two individuals. Uh, so I thought it was important to get that voice out there, but it's basically like we're, the, we're still in the evidentiary phase of if, you know, uh, you know we're, we're still presenting evidence. We're not going to present any ultimate judgments, not going to say anything about uh, uh, people. As a matter of fact, if someone wants to respond to this from the other side, they're more than welcome. This is an invitation. Uh, you know, they just I just want to highlight this person. I see, feel like they have a voice. So that's very, very important uh, to get across. Uh, so, uh, with that said, we are going to have some kind of, it's almost like a whistleblower type conversation. Like, you know, it's not technical because whistleblowers are still on the job. Like you're not on the job anymore, but, um, you know, we're kind of opening some secrets. Uh, and, but why, you know, why, why are we doing this? Like, right? I mean, we have to get that, uh, laid out too. Why did you feel it was important to contact me? Why did you feel it was important to share the story? Um, <clears throat> Uh, part of what I said in my blog is like my own story, it's not nearly as intense as Ashley's. Um, a lot of it's not nearly as, as personal as some other people. Uh, but I, in my time at the Broken Token, I touched every single aspect of it. Um, and uh, one of the things we prided ourselves on was being a small family business in the board game community. Um, and you know, depending on who you talk to, we created the uh, insert industry as it is. Um, You're synonymous. It's like Xerox. You know, like yeah. a copier is made by Xerox and a Q-tip is made or a, a, a ear thing is made by Q-tip. Like inserts are in made by Broken Token. We're at broken that token. level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people look to us as, uh, you know, an industry leader. Um, and uh, and you still say us. I, I noticed that. Yeah, um, I, I take, well, I've designed more than 80% of the, the catalog. So like, it still very much feels like it's belongs to me in some way. Um, and 
Uh, so yeah, people look to the Burke token as an industry leader. And in my mind, um, there were so many practices that I kind of really hope people are not taking your, are not practicing within the board game community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of what attracted me and my whole family, because actually my whole family worked for the broken token at one point, uh, that includes two siblings and my mom. Um, what attracted us to it was like that promise of, uh, being an industry leader in the board game industry and representing something that um, we felt proud of uh, and could influence the people around us to make a better world even, you know, lofty goals here. Um, But that was, you know, kind of our goal. So um, certainly in the wake of, you know, Ashley's story, uh, I want people to know what it was actually like at the Broken Token. very specifically people in the board game industry that I am friends with that own companies Mm -hmm. that I, I hope they are thinking very strongly about what the future they want to look like is. Um, And I'd like to show some of the mistakes that I think the broken token made so Mm -hmm. that other people can avoid those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's truly my goal. Uh, You know, I I can't change what happened to me or any of the other people that were hurt by it. um, But I absolutely don't want these sorts of things to happen to other people. Right. Okay. Uh, So this is for others. As a matter of fact, Ashley Taylor's blog was entitled Speaking Up to Protect Others. And I think you're approaching, or you say you're approaching it with that spirit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So you're going to get this question. I just want to, I'm sorry to interrupt. You're going to get this question. I want you to answer it right away. Are you burying a hatchet? Are you seeking some kind of revenge? You want to like kind of bring break down or bring go, go book took it down. Is that something that is, if it's not your main motivation, do, do you admit that that a little bit of that is there? Yeah, I would, I would a hundred percent admit that. Um, in that I, I, we've done a lot of work in the last six months. I mean, my mom is a, a life coach and a therapist in her own. Um, so we've been doing a lot of trauma work and all that. Uh, and a lot of that is kind of seeing the world from other people's perspective. Um, I can see very clearly how Greg got to where he was um, in both attitude and, you know, and I don't blame him for much of anything that he did. Um, mainly in that I don't think he thinks he did anything wrong. Uh, that makes it really hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so vengeance isn't necessarily my goal, uh, even though I've been spited by him pretty fiercely, you know. Um, it would be lovely to see him brought down a peg, you know, just for my own ego. Uh, and so, yeah, that is absolutely true. That said, um, I think, you know, I hope that enough has been done to him already that he can learn a lesson. Um, and so there's nothing more for me to gain really, uh, other than hopefully changing things. So, um, Mm -hmm. also, uh, I do have my own, um, company now, uh, I'm hoping by getting out there, I'll get some followers of my own. So like in the case of disclaimer, sure. I am hoping that, you know, I'll get something out of this. Uh, but I also lost a job and kind of need <laughs> something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't think that's too, uh, too crazy. So Derek's a human, you know, and I, I, as a psychotherapist myself, I did a lot of thinking about whether I wanted to move forward with this. And ultimately, you know, I decided, yeah. So like, I'm looking at it, it's like, Hey, yes, there is a, 
resentfulness, a resentment that's there, uh, some struggles that you've had emotionally, which I'm sure we'll get into later in the episode. Uh, yes, there is a, I need to get the word out about, you know, I still want to make stuff and I, you know, want to get the word out. I have a bit of a platform and it'll be friendly. So it's like, uh, you know, let's reach out to Jason, go on. All that's there. And I could have looked at that and said, no, I don't want that. But I feel like what the other side, you know, the, the, the accurate testimonial are act as accurate as you can do to your experience, right? Accurate to your experience, I'd say, uh, combined with the desire to make sure other companies aren't engaging in that kind of thing. Or if, if companies are still working a broken token, you know, to look out for, you know, that kind of thing, you know, because they're not gone. So they're just they're kind of downsized. Um, so so that's all like that. It, it, this conversation needs, needs as much premise as possible. Uh, and I should probably take a step back. Uh, Ashley Taylor uh, wrote a blog, which I will link in the show notes that uh, talked about her um, uh, sexually uh, being involved with Greg. Uh, so that's a whole different conversation. I know uh, I'll let Ashley's kind of uh, thing speak for itself, but I will link the blog in the show notes. Uh, Greg Spence is the CEO, and that will be most of the conversation focused on that person. Once again, not in a way that says, okay, this is a bad person, but to try to talk about the practices in that were engaged while at Broken Token. Okay. A lot of preface, <laughs> but I think, uh, I think that uh, we set the scene. We can move forward. Uh, okay. So let us, first of all, like just introduce us to you and your work. What are the, um, the inserts? What is an insert? <laughs> we, maybe somebody doesn't even know what an insert is. What is an insert? And what are some of the key products that you worked with that you, that gamers would know you for? Yeah. Um, well, an insert is a, uh, well, in our case specifically, a laser cut uh, buildable set of boxes that go inside your board game box and organizes the pieces. Uh, I guess that's the quick and dirtiest explanation I can give. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, well, I'll give a little preface on like what actually got me into designing them. Um, I went to school at the Art Institute of Colorado. Uh, and when I decided to go to school, it was actually specifically because I wanted to design board games um, and I wanted the graphic skills to do that. Uh, during school, I really got into board games more than I expected um, and even had a project that included uh, redesigning board game packaging. Um, and during that project, I designed a Elder Sign organizer. Mm. You know, so Elder Sign has so many different types of cards. Uh, so that right. they got the little cards and yeah. like the big yeah yeah got it big cards um so when money started running out at school uh, unfortunately i had never actually finished getting my associate's degree the money ran out um but in my last semester uh i was just looking you know trying to figure out what i was gonna do with my life next um and in the midst of researching board game stuff i came across the broken token uh and it was pretty synchronicitous uh they happened to be looking for someone. I just happened to be visiting my family in San Diego for uh, Thanksgiving. So I sent them an email. Um, and since I had already started designing organizers, I was able to show up and be like, look, I do this thing. Um, brought my brother along because he was looking for a job too. Uh, and, you know, we got the job. Um, and it initially it was just running the lasers. So just putting material in, pressing the start button, cutting the things. Um, in fact, by the time I became a designer, I think Greg had forgotten that I was designing things before I started working there. Mm. Um, so it was about a year into, uh, working there 
I went to, uh, I think it was Dice Tower West with him mm-hmm. or some convention. Um, and in the case, time of that convention, at one point he mentioned, we really need a designer um, if we're going to keep up with things. I was like, I can do that. Um, and uh, he set, he asked me to work on uh, the Firefly, the board game, because um, that was our most requested at the time. In fact, that's what he was saying, because like it was like the 10th person to come to the booth to be like, you guys need a Firefly organizer. He goes, I don't have the time to design these things. We need mm-hmm. a designer. Um, so I actually worked on it on my free time because I was still a laser operator at the time. Uh, but when I brought him the prototype a couple of weeks later, he was like, OK, you're a designer now. Um, so the first thing that we launched of mine was uh, Big Damn Crate um for firefly the board game uh and uh that is an incredible organizer um (laughs) if you don't say so yourself if i don't say so myself (laughs) well one of the things the biggest challenge for it was um i mean talk about expansions it outgrew its core box like immediately uh and we're we kind of were like how are we going to solve this and i was like well we need a bigger box (laughs) um you know and i designed a quarter inch box. Yeah, I talked to Greg for it first, um, but that was like, it was a crazy idea. Um, And it's not the first time that I had a crazy idea that Greg was like, okay, we'll try it. Mm -hmm. And it worked out gangbusters. Um, That, to the, till the day that I was fired, um, that organizer was selling 10, 15 a month um, for six years. Uh, And it was like the most expensive product we'd ever done at the time. uh, so that's that's the big one, um, and more. Like I mean, I've seen Eldritar. I've seen I've Eldritar. <laughs> I yeah. do not have organizers. I just have the original boxes. But you know, if I had the, uh, it was in a, I was in a certain like area of my life. I'll be no question. I'll be. I'll want these things. Um, Gloomhaven. You know, Gloomhaven launched. I think it was or Frosthaven launched with Broken Token, kind of like in the Kickstarter. It wasn't like this ancillary thing. It was like, okay, you can buy this broken token as a part of your pledge, right? So, like, we're talking, and you were a part of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, well, so there's two, I'd say the two biggest launches for the broken token were uh, the Big Damn Crate. Um, in meetings for months after that, Greg would mention how, like, Big Damn Crate is the reason why we're able to hire new people and the reason why we're able to get new equipment. Um, and that also applied to uh, Gloomhaven. So, you know, Gloomhaven had their first Kickstarter and it was, you know, sort of big, um, but uh, not as, you know, people were clamoring for it already. Um, and the second people got their hands on it, they're like, Broken Token, you need an organizer for it. Um, so we we actually reached out to Cephalo Fair and sort of kind of partnered for that second Gloomhaven Kickstarter. Um, mainly in that they provided the game for us so we could work on it um, and they let their consumers know. Uh, And that was another opportunity for me to have a crazy idea. Um, You know, I spent almost five months working on it. Uh, So many different prototypes, trying to get it to work Mm -hmm. until I was like, I need something different. Uh, And I thought of tuck boxes for the monsters, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, thinner walled material and, uh, I cut them all out by hand for prototypes um, so I could, you know, prove the concept to Greg. Um, 
And part of the thing is, is we knew we needed so many uh, units before we launched it. Um, and so we want to do 3,000. There's 30 tuck boxes for each organizer. Um, and even at 10 cents a piece or whatever, $30,000 for all these tuck boxes. So it was like a 30,000 bet on my crazy idea. Um, and we took that bet. And again, I went gangbusters. Um, Bloomhaven, again, is the reason why we were able to hire new people, uh, buy new equipment, and eventually even buy a facility. Mm. You know, we were renting warehouse space. Um, and, and I guess it was close to three years ago, uh, Bourbon Tech it was able to actually buy a building that mm. it owns now, um, which is pretty big. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so that leads us into like your role uh, where I wanted to start uh, in terms of the like workplace dynamic stuff is, you know, with that scene, we're talking, you know, family, very small business that you were along with and you saw it grow into a bigger business. So, you know, in your blog, which will also be linked in the show notes, you describe having a very centrally located desk. And so what are you seeing from the, put us, the viewer in the perspective of that desk. And what are you seeing, you know, along the, along the time frame? Are you seeing it grow? Are you seeing the employees and how much, and how much growth, like in terms of specific numbers are we talking about? Yeah. So when, uh, excuse me, when my brother and I started, um, there were six other employees already. So then we were the seventh and eighth <clears throat> ones. Um, and, uh, I mean, for that first year, we was just kind of moving along until I became a designer, like I said. And at the time we were in a, I don't know, like 800 square foot facility. So it's tiny anyway, um, with eight people, you know, so we, you know, everyone that you work with. Um, and you know, at the time, Greg didn't actually work for the broken token. He was still working his day job. Um, you know, in fact, he didn't actually start working for the Broken Token until three years later. Um, so, you know, it was just the employees. So, I mean, we mm. talked all the time about our frustrations, about our ideas, um, you know, so all six of us just in that room, basically. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, we definitely saw growth really fast. Um, you know, every time we launched an organizer, uh, we couldn't keep up with the demand. Um, you know, so, uh, I mean, it felt like we were hiring someone new every six months, mm. if not faster. Um, you know, I brought my brother along, uh, six months later, my younger sister joined us. Um, you know, later that year, my mom volunteered for, uh, conventions. Um, you know, she was paid per diem for those sorts of things, um, until eventually she was hired, uh, as part of customer service as well. Um, yeah, during this time though, uh, uh, so I feel like I have lots of little stories mm -hmm. about interactions with Greg. So well, let's I'll talk about just, I mean, first, so, okay. You're in the middle of the thing. And like, by the time we get yeah. to, I don't know, like, I mean, everything happened in 2021. So like, give us to like 2019, 2020 story. How many people are there? Well, by the end of, by the summer of 2019, which was honestly like our peak, mm -hmm. um, we had maybe 50 employees. That's a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to say somewhere between 45 and 50. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have, we have finally gotten to the point where there it is possible for me to not know someone that works for us, um, which is still feels kind of weird. Uh, but you know, at that point, we had twelve lasers um, that are running almost twenty four seven. So we've got like four different shifts for people, um, and. Uh, that is, like I said, that's about my peak. And around mm-hmm. those two years around there, my desk was literally at the entrance of the building. Um, you know, there's just this corner, it's a very dumb design building, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we made our best of it. This corner that was kind of the perfect size for me. Um, and I liked seeing people because part of my job too is interacting with every, every aspect. You know, I need to be in touch with production, see if there's issues that I need to fix on my design. I need to be in touch with packaging because you know they like we decide what mm-hmm. size things are. are. Um, I need to be in touch with customer service so that when complaints are had, I can fix them. You know, so the job anyway called for me to be in touch with everyone. Mm-hmm. So everyone knew me. I encourage people to talk to me about problems. Um, you know, because I can't solve anything if I don't know what the problems are. Mm-hmm. Um, and were there um, the management structure? Right. I mean. Uh, were there like middle managers where people broken out into teams? Uh, would the teams have heads, uh, or did, was it like you know where everybody's kind of equalish, and then there's one boss on top? Like what what's the manager structure? Yeah, so for the longest time, it was just kind of individuals. We had a production manager, um, you know, who... <laughs> for for the podcast, the uh, uh, scare quotes went on a production manager. Yeah. And only at start, because, I mean, they were basically an employee, too. They were just kind of the shift lead in that Mm -hmm. they made sure people took breaks and what to do and all that. As we grew um, and production manager had to be a little bit more like, uh, you know, warehouse management and stuff like that, you know, that kind of became our first middle manager. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was when I first started as designer, I was just kind of under that. because at the time, Greg, like I said, he wasn't working for the Broken Token. He was just the owner working his day job. He'd come in occasionally and say, hey, we should try this or let's do it this way or whatever it is. Um, as we grew, yeah, we added, a, you know, we Ashley became the shipping manager mm-hmm. and we started having a shipping person under her. Um, eventually, I became the lead designer uh, and we actually got a designer under me. Um so I became part of middle management in that sense. Um, eventually, we got a uh, project manager as well. Mm-hmm. Um, who, and we near the end we shifted that to where I was underneath the project manager, and that's who I was reporting to. Um, so yeah, at our peak, we did have you know like production manager, me, and uh, project manager. So we tried to have, uh, but and I say try because Greg was involved in everything, right? Um, especially when he started working there, you know, he wanted to be involved in everything, which makes sense. Um, I'd want to be involved with everything too. You know, it's an exciting, mm-hmm. exciting thing. Uh, the frustrating thing with that is we often talked about how he, he had to be the, uh, the big picture guy, mm. you know? Um, and that means he's looking at, things further down the line or outside of our purview that he has to be aware of, which is great. It's good. That's what you're supposed to do when you're in that position. Problem is when he came into this tighter, narrower bands and looked at what we were hired to do and went, why are you doing it that way? Um, Mm. My least favorite thing, it 
it like sends chills down my spine. My family recognizes it as like a trauma response. Mm. Uh, that's not how I would do it. <laughs> mm. I hated those words. Mm-hmm. Um, right. it, yeah, because it's like so many, well, here, <laughs> let me give a specific example because it, it's recent enough. It happened with uh, Frosthaven. Um, you know, frustration was huge. We were taking it seriously. I was designing it without the game, um, which is insane in its own right. Uh, but at so least you had Gloomhaven, so you kind of got that the idea. Yeah, you know, we're using that as like guesstimates, and even Cephal Affair is really good about providing us measurements and stuff like that. But even then, it's still guessing, you know, more or less. Uh, so we had a lot of meetings about. What, how to make the design better. Mm-hmm. Um, during one of those meetings, Greg was looking at the one of the trays um, and he uh, he made a suggestion to make the edges flat, you know, so it's harder to get the pieces out, because, but he thought it would save material. Um, and this is a decision that we made years ago to make things better. So he was asking me to go backwards is mm-hmm. basically how it felt. Um, and I pushed back against him at the time uh, and another one of his classic response was responses. Well, have we actually tried it? Like, well, no, we haven't actually tried it, but I'm telling you as an expert of designing things, we don't need to try it. Mm. It's a bad idea, but he pushed and he insisted. Um, so I changed the design, uh, and we posted pictures of that. And the very first comment that we got on the Kickstarter was that change you made was kind of dumb. I wish you would change it back. Um, which I knew was going to happen, you know, but that's what it was like working with him. He'd have some sort of idea, mainly he gets really focused on things, you know? Um, It felt like his concern at the moment there was cut time. You know, he wants to cut faster because he's worrying about if we're going to be able to produce all of it. Um, So quality or customer uh, satisfaction doesn't really matter at that moment to him. It's like, we got to cut them faster, Mm -hmm. which, um, which, Makes it frustrating when he says that he's the big picture guy uh, and he's ignoring half the picture because he's got, you know, he's concerned about this one problem. Um, and that was incredibly typical of him. You know, mm-hmm. he'd tell you, I'm looking at the big picture. And when you go, yeah, but what about this part of the picture? He'd go, no, I know what's right. You don't know what's going on. You know, or at least that's how it felt. Um, okay. Uh, so, but I, I'm speaking as the interviewer, kind of, you know, looking back in the big picture, I can see um, someone watching the video saying, well, that just sounds like a boss, you know, like that sounds like a run of the mill, bad boss. Like, why are we here talking about this particular problem when you have millions of bosses around the world that just like do the same types of things? You know, uh, I people that like they get an email and they can just hear the bell when it's a email from the boss rather than the email from the somebody else. There's not that doesn't make any sense. But like that is a very, very common experience. Uh, why do you feel like we need to have this conversation, uh, you know, relative to the, the little things that you're talking about? Uh Yeah, well, I think it is a common experience. Um, You know, I had a few jobs before this one where, you know, I hated my boss, like a typical person, (laughs) you know, like, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I agree. It doesn't seem that uh, strange. But I think that's kind of the problem. (laughs) Um, You know, I'd say that Greg is a symptom of a larger problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, and that's uh, again, we're, we're specifying Greg's behavior as a boss at Broken Token, yeah. but I don't want to talk about Greg as the person. We'll just his do, idea you know. of what bossing should be um, is uh, adversarial to workers. Um, mm. And, you know, I think that's the case for much of how we treat work specifically in the U S um, you know, some of the <laughs> Greg's idols are people like Richard Branson or, uh, Steve Jobs. Um, you know, he read books by billionaires about how to run good businesses. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, that means that his, yeah, you know, primary goal was always money. Um, you know, something I think about a lot. Yeah, you know, I talked about how when I was in school, I started making organizers. You know, when I found the Broken Token, what I wanted to do was make organizers uh, so that people could play more games. That was my motivation. When Greg started the Broken Token, he was going to the makerspace to actually make uh, like drones, you know, like camera drones, mm -hmm. want to do FPV stuff. Um, the first organizer he made was just for fun, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that just happened to be the thing that caught traction, um, you know, and he saw a business opportunity, mm -hmm. um, which is fine, uh, but that was always his motivation. So, you know, whenever we talked about quality or customer care or anything like that, his end goal was, you know, how can we get an extra penny out of it? Um, how do we make it more efficient? Uh, where mine was always, how do we make the customer more happy or how do we make it, you know, easier for the uh, employees? Um, you know, because we're in board games, this isn't that serious. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it was always so frustrating. It always felt like life or death. Um, and mainly cause it, he was so worried about the bottom line. Uh, I think you mentioned it, you know, seeing from my perspective as the designer, one of the things I did was, uh, I even set our prices. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I looked at the material cost and all those things. Uh, and I did the calculations for what our prices should be. Um, and yeah, I watched your shelf stories, your previous one with James Hudson. Mm -hmm. Um, and he talked a little bit about margins there in board gaming. And he said 30%, um, which are pretty tight margins. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had margins set upwards of 80%. Wow. Um, and it's still a little bonkers to me wondering where some of that, like, I just don't know where some of that money went. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I know where some of it went. We bought, like I said, we bought a building. Mm -hmm. uh, it cost millions of dollars, I'm sure. Um, he, he, the Broken Token, technically the business, bought a uh, vacation home up north in Big Bear. Um, you know, supposed to be an investment property where the plan was to rent it out and have like board game themed stuff. So it was going to make the company money, but it's still... Well, it's an investment property and it made, you know, it's going to make his, uh, uh, word escapes me, his, you know, value go up and he's got wealth. Um, but I've got almost nothing to show for my six years there. Um, yeah, I, I want to really focus on the, the emotional experience of the worker. You know, I talked yeah. about, you know, I kind of, I, I led you there a little bit, <laughs> you know, like what's the big deal, right? Everybody has a bad boss. Um, the big deal becomes when the employees care 
right? And that that's kind of in a small business, you kind of have to care. And in a low margin business and a hobby business, like all that stuff gets made up, all the kind of barriers by employees caring and giving a F, you know, and, and, and giving of their time and giving of their, you know, extra hours. I'm sure it was nights and weekends and, you know, access in terms of, uh, you know, conventions, you know, that's a whole weekend or whatever it is. And there's fun there. But, you know, maybe sometimes you didn't want to do it or maybe it was like, you know, the parts of it that you didn't enjoy. But like, I got to do it anyway, because, you know, we're in this together type thing. So like an emotional investment happens on the part of the worker. And I'm a worker guy. Anybody who watches Shelf Stories, I'm a worker guy. That's why I wanted to have the conversation. So pay, right? The emotional experience of seeing the company blow up. And, you know, expand and, you know, big margins and, and not, you know, tell us about like trying to get more pay, more raises, that kind of thing. So my first, like I said, I was there for a year, I became a designer. um, And we talked even then about like, we should have reviews regularly. Um, Something that basically never actually happened in the whole six years there. Uh, But when I finally did get my first review, um, you know, I think three months late, uh, I had done a lot of prep work for that um, because like, I was already working my dream job. I went to school to learn how to design things for board games. And now here I am designing things for board games. I was thrilled mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to do it right. So my first, my first raise negotiation, I did hours of research about like the average pay rate in the area um, based on experience and schooling. Um, and then I made a raise schedule. So like I gave ideas of like goals I could meet, um, within timelines. And then by meeting those goals, maybe I could get a raise based on performance, um, all this work. And I went in to talk to him and, you know, within the time of the conversation, I was like, I'm only making $16 an hour uh, as a designer um, where I could go like bag groceries for $18 an hour. Uh, This doesn't seem right, Um, but I don't want to raise a full raise now. Here's my plan so that we can work towards it. Um, His response to like going somewhere else was basically, you know, we're a family. I'm a small business. If that's how you feel, it's an open market. You can go work somewhere else then was basically his reply. and then he all but ignored all of my goals um, and basically said, of course, you're going to get a raise because like you have been doing work, but I got like half the raise that I had hoped for with none of the goals set that I had hoped for. And I left the meeting feeling, I mean, confused. Uh, I can even feel like my chest is beating right now and I'm like the butterflies in my stomach because it just like I mentioned the gaslighting, um, I went in there thinking like, this is going to be great. Uh, you know, I've talked to him a lot by this point too. So it was my first meeting with him in this kind of capacity. So I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had, he had talked about being family and about, you know, what, how to run a business. So I thought he, he and I were kind of of the same mind. Um, and so when I left that meeting with, you know, basically nothing that I had hoped for, uh, but a, a raise enough to be like, well, at least I'm making more money, you know, and that was enough to keep me trying again, you know, mm. or maybe I need to make, you know, do better. And maybe next time it'll be better. Um, 
So we're going to get to that idea of like, okay, like he said, you could just, it's an open market. You could just go. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, it wasn't just the pay though. Uh, I mentioned before, like, okay. Um, you know, lots of extra hours, uh, extra tasks, you know, again, you know, I know you eventually grew to having different zones, but in a, you know, business people pick up, right? Okay. Well, this person's out. I'm going to do this. So this per there's a shortfall here. Uh, you know, this person just left, I'm going to do this and the pickup, all that kind of thing. Talk about how that played out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly at the beginning for me, like when I first became designer, it was halftime designer, halftime production. So like I would still run lasers on occasion or package stuff. Um, uh, and then certainly as we got bigger and bigger and we had more things to do, like we were growing our convention thing. And so when my mom joined as a um, customer service rep, she also did convention prep, um, which was fine maybe to start when both were kind of small-ish, but every, I mean, every aspect of the business was always growing. Um, you know, one thing I'll mention that for a new business, you know, they always say that you spend like the first three to five years in the red. Mm -hmm. uh, the broken token was always in the black. You were always making profit. Um, so the whole time you were growing. Uh, so it was really fast. Um, so that meant that, yeah, it was constant that people had to take on roles outside of like their, what they were specified for. Um, and more often than not, we were all really happy to, you know, it was like seeing something needed to be done and just doing it whether because we felt we had the time or we just wanted to make sure it was done, you know, for the sake of everyone else. Uh, it often felt like if you didn't do something, the ball would get dropped and everyone would suffer. Mm -hmm. um, so like, yeah, we were motivated to do things. Uh, and Greg would encourage us to, to as well. Um, you know, it was far too late to get actual, uh, like I said, with the reviews. But at one point we did type up like a rubric for your review. And on that rubric was like a, S tier for going above and beyond, mm -hmm. seeing things that need to be done and doing them because they need to be done. So there was this idea of, we want you to do more than just what you're asked of. But anytime you would go, I mean, and you could write down notes and be like, at this time I did this, mm -hmm. be as specific as possible and go to Greg and be like, hey, I've been doing, you know, I've been meeting all of my goals for my actual job. And I did all these extra things because they needed to be done. Uh, what can I get in return? And his response would be, well, I didn't ask you to do that. Mm. Uh, and, or, mm. you know, like, or, he'd, or he'd like talk about how like, well, then maybe we should hire someone, but it was never like you did a good job. Here's a reward. It was what, what were you thinking? This is a problem that needs to be fixed is more how it came across. Mm. Um, and it's like, but I did fix the problem, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, so that goes back to that adversarial thing you were talking before. And it's not like mean, you know, like that word adversarial yeah. sounds like it was mean. And it sounds like as we, you know, talk about bad bossing that, okay, he means to put you down or he means to whatever. It's just like you said before, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a style of bossing, you know, and that that style of bossing is it really puts it on the worker to max out how much they care for as minimal a salary as possible. I think that if we had to describe like the modern worker period, 
uh, it's, you know, maxing out how much you care for as minimum as amount as money as possible. And that just being in that tension every minute of every day, I'm guessing that's a big part of, you know, what was so difficult being there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it's a good time to tell one story that kind of highlights this pretty well. Uh, what's one of the craziest experiences? Uh, I think it was near 2018. So not quite at our peak yet, but, you know, things are growing. We just, at the beginning of that year, we actually bought out a company. Um, that's how big we were. Like, it's so weird to me that we can buy a whole company uh, that was making terrain stuff. Um, so we were onboarding that. Uh, we added a new paint line, like lots of things going on at once. Um, and we were struggling to launch things in any kind of consistent way. And so I scheduled a meeting with Greg, where I was like, we need a project manager. Um, we're not going to like, I'm, I'm running around like a chicken with my head off. Everyone is doing everything full bore, uh, but no one is keeping track of it. Um, and I left that meeting again, confused because he was, he fought back against hiring someone new or even promoting someone because all he could see was that everyone was already working too hard. So no one could take it on, even though someone was already sort of doing the job. I was so part of the meeting was uh, let this person just do that job. Um, Greg fought against that. So I left that meeting not really having any answers. And we just continued trying to push through until three months later, Greg invited me and this other person to lunch. Um, and, you know, in the first few minutes of lunch, he said, okay, you're going to be the project manager now. And me and this other person looked at each other like, uh, with such confusion, mm. um, because it seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, this other person had been talking to Greg for months about it. Um, they had gone back and forth. They went on a trip to a convention where they talked about it and how it would work. And during all that time, Greg didn't just make it happen until this seemingly random day. Greg's like, okay, you're the project manager now. Uh, and when, when we talked about it later, we wanted to say something to him of like, are you sure? Like this, this seems crazy and random, mm -hmm. but we were so happy to finally get what we wanted. We just kept our mouth shut. Mm -hmm. um, because like, like I said, I, I had been pushing that angle for six months and for him to finally go, okay, this is, this is it. I was like, yeah, okay. Yep. I'll take it. <laughs> Good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, it, and the thing about that is the, the, the person who became a project manager, they were running our web store already. Um, and they were taking things on to keep things moving already, you know, and uh, had one foot out the door. He was looking for another job um, because of the stress of it and not being told, okay, you are actually in charge of the thing that you've been doing for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally being told. Um, and that was a relief until, you know, he had to work that much more closely with Greg. Uh, and I mean, that guy eventually ended up quitting because um, it was frustrating. Right. So then that is a marker of, you know, the health of a place, the turnover. So talk about a little bit of the turnover that you saw from your desk as you're seeing uh, things buzzing yeah. around. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because it feels like so many people were there the whole time. Um, but it also feels like there was a lot of turnover. Um, like I said, I started there working there with my brother. Uh, uh, he had a hell of a time. Um, 
you know, one of the employees that started there before us was just kind of messy, never cleaned up before uh, at the end of their shifts. Um, and my brother always got the short end of that stick um, and, you know, was even complaining about it. Uh, and as it went on and things, he was complaining, Greg actually came in and was like observing my brother during his shifts um, and timing him on things and all that. When this other guy who was messing up wasn't getting that sort of uh, closely looking at, um, it felt like uh, you know, like the opposite of squeaky wheel gets the kick. Mm. It it felt retaliatory that you know my brother was the one complaining and he was the one getting more scrutinized. Mm. Um, it it pushed my brother to complete frustration to where at one point he was kind of in the right to be annoyed and complaining to where he actually turned into the asshole um, and no one wanted to work with him. Uh, and that finally came to a head um, where Dorian, my brother, uh, his supervisor and Greg all had a meeting. My brother called the supervisor uh, uh, effing moron mm. in front of Greg's face and uh, was fired right there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a really tough situation because like Dorian was right. <laughs> the, the supervisor was an effing moron, had been treating Dorian like crap for months um, and no one did anything about it uh, up until the point that Dorian was pushed to complete frustration and then was fired. Um, and, you know, that's close to me because it was my brother. Um, and that made it difficult to talk to Greg or anyone else about it. Cause Greg immediately was like, well, it's because he's your brother that you're saying these things mm -hmm. like, no, um, it's because he was a good employee that was pushed to the breaking point. Uh, and he wasn't the only one, um, very similar situations happened to at least three other employees, mm. um, who would complain about things, you know, uh, that I found were legitimate, um, Things wouldn't change. They get more frustrated, and then they talk back, basically, and get fired for it. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a good handful of turnover in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, then, especially on the production side, because you know, we're running lasers, and they're not super difficult to run, but it's not exactly it's it's not an unskilled job. Mm -hmm. It's really not. Um, and you don't want it to be an unskilled job because they're expensive machines too. That can be very expensively broken. Um, but, uh, you know, we paid just above minimum wage for it. Um, and then we had super high demands. You know, there were tests and uh, you were scrutinized on your quality. Um, and so we had, I mean, I want to say, maybe a dozen people that would come in, work for a couple of weeks and then just quit because it was just too hard um, for the pay. Uh, you know, you really could go and work for McDonald's across the street for half the stress mm -hmm. um, and probably a dollar more. Uh, in fact, my sister just started a job um, as a cashier uh, and she's being paid what she was working for the Broken Token. Um, but she was in fact, in charge of people at the broken token and she was mm -hmm. being paid this much uh and she, she was kind of complaining about her feet her after a cashier job but then she thought about it for a second she's like yeah but at least i'm not working for greg <laughs> <laughs> um 
because that was the thing. Part, part of what also led people to quit often is Greg would come and visit. And anytime he'd come visit people's like, you know, our asses would clench because he'd complain about something. And the way he would complain about something is like, he'd see a laser doing something a little bit weird and be like, should it be doing that? And the person who's working there knows that he's the owner and they'll have like a mini heart attack and be like, Oh God, did I f up? Um, and change something. Whereas, you know, me, the production supervisor and the uh, quality supervisor have already discussed that problem and decided that it's not worth the effort to fix. You know, and Greg is throwing a wrench into someone's day, uh, you know, adding stress to them without mm -hmm. consulting the person who's actually in charge of that. Um, you know, so it was, it was, it's always like waiting for Greg to come in and say like, this is wrong. Um, and what's what's so crazy about that is like he never i don't think he ever wielded it like a hammer you right. know he but um i mean we're in at, at an at will state in california uh he didn't really have to threaten us to lose our jobs without making us feel like we're threatened to lose our jobs mm -hmm. um and he was always so critical in a way in a unhelpful way i guess is how it seems it was always like that seems wrong, not how do we fix the problem? Right. It wasn't um, constructive. He, it wasn't like yeah. solution focused, as we like to say in the therapy world, like, are you solution focused? Or are you just dwelling on problems? It was more like dwelling on problems and kind of like leaving it to you to figure out the way forward. Or that's how it felt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then, I mean, we could go on in terms of the, um, the specific things, but I think that kind of paints a picture of the, uh, the demands, the emotions of it, the, 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 being in that, it's hard to communicate on a podcast and a conversation, right? But being in an environment of negativity and non-construction and for low pay, right? I mean, it just wasn't a great working dynamic. So then it comes to that ultimate question, which is a title of video, which is a thing that uh, apparently Greg had mentioned during the show, uh, which is, you know, kind of hangs over this whole thing. And I know I'm going to get comments on it. So I'm going to head it off right there. Why didn't you quit? Yeah, um, there's so many half answers to it, too. Um, I, I made the mistake early on of saying, even to Greg, that I love this job so much I'd do it for free. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> don't, don't ever say that to someone who signs your paychecks. Oh, um, no. But, it, but it's true, you mm -hmm. know, and I would love to do it for free even now, you know, um, kind of like the patreon model if i could get enough subscribers or i don't you know because i i just wanted to design the organizers yeah. um and uh yeah because they're freaking board games and i love board games so like that's that's a big me thing. too yeah <laughs> um you know so you add that aspect i would do it for free uh because it's fun and it's fulfilling and there's all that um you, you said before in your blog um that's i, I it reminded me of like, it isn't just about the personal satisfaction. You'd go to cons and people would like, thank you. Yeah. You know, thank yeah. you so much for helping me organize my Gloomhaven, my, my editor, my, my big unwieldy thing. And, you know, you have come up with a solution for me. Thank you so much. And like, they, like that's almost invaluable. You almost can't yeah. put a price on that. Well, and I'd say that's absolutely the case. And, and the thing that made the whole experience at the Broken Token was like that. You know, except for Greg, all of my coworkers um, are some of my favorite people on the planet. 
Um, we always had fun working together, uh, you know, because we were just making stuff, you know, making stuff that made people happy. Um, and it, that is invaluable. Uh, there's also, you know, people always forget like the sunk cost fallacy as well and how perceptible we are to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for Ashley, when she started there, like I said, Greg, did, Greg didn't work at the Broken Token at first. Um, so she was the one doing literally like all the work. It existed because she was there. Mm. Um, and so like all that effort was in it for her. Uh, and like all the praise, whether Greg gave her the, the credit or not, she felt that, you know, so it's the same for me. Um, the big damn crate, you know, I, uh, I, I remember specifically the first Gen Con I went to had an old man come up and thank me for it. He said he, it changed his life. Um, because mm-hmm. it was a favorite game that he could finally play now. Uh, you know, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'd say that I thought about a lot that kept me, kind of kept me going <laughs> is almost always the hope that Greg would just move on. Um, you know, he's kind of a serial entrepreneur. He had done several businesses before. Um, he had several ideas during, uh, you know, at one point, I know that he said he made like four or five times as much as his best paid employee. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have traded him for four or five employees at any time. Uh, you know, the broken token could have existed without him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like part of it was always that hope of like, he would just decide to move on and whether it was sell it or even he had talked to me at one point about me taking his place. Um, you know, because I had, done every aspect of it. I had that passion. Um, but you know, halfway through my tenure there, I realized I wouldn't want to work that closely with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that didn't come first, but that, you know, that ownership of it, um, mm-hmm. it feels, I hesitate to say the word unfair, uh, because my mom always said life is unfair, you know, buy a helmet. Um, you can't, you can't, compensate for unfairness um, but it is unfair uh yeah. you know whatever i don't know what his situation is now um but i know that he owns a truck he owns the building he owns a house um he he owns all those lasers each one of them worth ten thousand dollars or something insane mm-hmm. um you know if it came down to it he could sell all the assets and he'd be fine um every other person that came in went through there with all the passion and hope that they had is almost no better off than when they started. Mm. In a lot of cases, some of us are worse off. Um, you know, half of my family is not sure we could work ever again. <laughs> like mm. the idea of working for someone else at this moment in time for us is horrifying. Um, because Greg took that much advantage of our, our goodwill. Um, you know, we gave and gave and gave and gave, uh, because we wanted to, because it was fun and we enjoyed it and we liked it. Uh, and he just took and took and took and never reciprocated. I'm going to get a little bit Marxist on folks. So I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. So then the essence of working a wage labor job is for the worker to quote unquote alienate their labor, right? So the idea being that as workers, you know, we work and we make stuff and, and we feel an attachment to anything that we make. And when we enter a wage labor job, we alienate that attachment. We separate ourselves and it's like, okay, 
I, whatever I do belongs to not to me, but to the person that has hired me and they give me a wage in response. So then that can work out if there's other things going on, but just the idea of alienating our labor is difficult because especially when we're in these like caring jobs, like you care. I'm a psychotherapist. I care. I'm a, I was a teacher. I cared. Uh, you know, nurses are going through it all the time. Like they're expected to bring all this care and like the excellence of care. So like that person who comments on the Kickstarter, like the um, within five seconds, probably about like, you know, their, um, their, the, the shape is wrong, but, you know, get the shape right again. You know, that customer is expecting someone who cares. Right. And that's the model, right? So like, you know, bring, bring care, but it's the model when it comes to the consumer facing, it's the model when it comes to what makes the consumer happy. When it comes to the worker, we're expected to be alienated from it. And there's an inherent contradiction. There is an inherent contradiction and, and, you know, bosses. And again, we're not, I, I know we mentioned Greg's name a lot. I don't know, Greg. Uh, I, and this is a conversation that I would like to continue, but I wanted to have this because this is not uncommon. This is symptomatic. A lot of us feel that way in our jobs. A lot of us feel this way in gaming, you know, I mean, and this is part of what we wanted to have this conversation about was to highlight some of this stuff because I, he, I see some of the postings for jobs and their salary level. And it's like, what you expect somebody to do a professional job with these demands that's this close to the customer and the customer expects excellent products and they expect responsiveness and they expect us to care about them. But then, you know, what, where do we get care? I've alienated us. I've given up so much. What do I get back? You know? And if the answer is going to be, well, just quit and leave. Well, then that's not easy. Obviously that is an answer, but like, that's not easy. Because we care. And I get very passionate about this. Uh, and I know this is your story, but I, I wanted to, you know, help you translate, you know, so that other people can hear this and not just be like always complaining. Uh, you know, I, I assume that's part of what kind of your hesitance, right? Of, to speaking out, yeah. like you don't want to have that stigma of like, he's just a bellyacher. He's just a complainer. He needs to suck it up. Right. Is that a, a thing that kind of went through your mind? Absolutely. Um, Something that I think of too, that this would be, I guess, my plea to consumers. Um, I saw this post going around on Facebook from the Shark Tank guy who's talking about how we need to, uh, how billionaires need to restructure their view onto the middle class um, and how, like, the way things are structured right now, people can't afford products, it's like in general. Um, I remember thinking at near the beginning of the broken token that I would not be one of their customers simply because I don't make enough money. Um, it's not within, like, I do not, they're way too expensive. Um, and it's almost, you can't almost buy the was, thing that you're making like that, yeah, that can't just in and of itself. Is. You cannot buy the thing that, that you are making. Yeah. Uh, and I think that applies pretty strongly to a lot of aspects within the board gaming industry. Um, you know, I think people should be able to afford the thing that they're making, uh, you know, if only so that they can appreciate the thing that they're making, because that shows, uh, customers notice that customers know when people like what they're doing, um, you know, near the end, because great, because we were always chasing, you know, the profit, um, we 
there was push to like cancel play tests so we get things out faster and all that. Um, we did launch products under those paradigms and they were less well received. Mm. It is obvious when I have play tested and that I care about a game. Um, the way I put it is like I have to treat each game as if it's my favorite game uh, because people are buying the product for their favorite game. So they, they know. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of quality comes from caring. Uh, and, you know, my body is all but destroyed um, for how hard I've pushed. And not just at the Broken Token, but of the jobs before, um, because I care. Uh, and often, much to my detriment, um, my family, yeah. unfortunately, say all the time, we wish we couldn't care. Because uh, that'd be easier. It'd be a lot easier to not care. Um, but that's, I don't know, it sucks to not care. <laughs> if you're, um, I mean, if you're comfortable, you have alluded to it. I mean, please, you, please share a little bit about the personal impact. You know, you got let go, whatever yeah. it was, six months ago, whenever that happened. And it's just, it, has, it hasn't been great. Well, it hasn't been great. I mean, the last few years haven't been great for a lot of people, obviously, you know, with the pandemic and all that. But um, it started for me in the summer of 2019. Uh, my mom actually hurt herself on the job working for the Broken Token, uh, which she never actually went after them for, which she should have. Um, that's a whole other Oprah, I suppose. Uh, and she went to go live with my grandma, which was supposed to be a fun time. But my grandma was not doing well mm -hmm. um, and needed surgery and all that. And so at the end of 2019, my grandma joined me and my brother and my mom in a two bedroom apartment. So that's where I was in 2020. Um, fortunately, we were able to get a house. We're in a house now. That's fine. But uh, that that tanked my emotional well-being anyway. I spent two weeks in bed at the start of the pandemic. It was really mm -hmm. bad. Um, and so, you know, struggled to keep work going anyway from home, you know, all the same struggles everyone had. Um, but because I was so much worse last year, I looked into, uh, physical therapy for, I have a brain injury. Um, I was shaking as a baby, maybe another Oprah too. Uh, but, um, I was doing therapy for that. And, uh, part of that is that, um, I had to take some time off of work, mm -hmm. which Greg, tried to be good about, but he was always like, I'm so disappointed that you have to, you we're trying to grow and all that. Blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's where I was um, trying to do therapy and all that. And then uh, Ashley actually spoke to us before putting her story out. Um, I said it in my blog, so many people that left opted not to say things for my sake, because I was still working there. Mm. Um, so even with her story, she wanted to make sure that I was okay before she shared her story, um, I told her, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, cause I was already hoping to quit, um, at some point, although I hoped it was under better circumstances. Uh, so when it all came out, um, it was, it was a lot anyway. Uh, I didn't actually expect to be let go. Um, you know, I thought Greg, it sounds a bit area, but I have a bit of a golden goose. You know, I've designed some of the things that turn the company around. Um, and I think he recognized that. But we had another or, uh, designer who was being paid less, um, who who cares a lot, but not as much as I do. Um, and I think Greg recognized that. So, um, yeah, I was let go. And uh, it set me back 
years. <laughs> um, the physical therapy that I'm supposed to be doing, I just didn't have the heart for it. Uh, so I'm behind where I should be in like my recovery. Mm. Um, I, I sat on like applying for unemployment cause I was just too depressed to, uh, face dealing with that. Um, <laughs> when, when he let me go, he was like, well, we won't fight you on unemployment. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> so generous of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I, so that happened September 3rd is when I was quit. Uh, and then other about cleaning some stuff around the house. I feel like I haven't done a damn thing that entire time. Um, I'm just like a broken husk of a human being, mm. uh, trying to design things. Um, in fact, I have some board games that I'm designing, uh, which is fine, but you know, I'm worried about money. I'm worried about, you know, should I be looking for a job? It sounds bad. Like, but I, I still haven't done my physical therapy. So there's that worry on top of it. So it's like all these layers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's never a good time to lose your job, but I can't think of a worse time for me to have lost my job. Uh, and yeah, it's caused, it's caused actual damage to my well-being. This is something, um, I have to be very careful here because I, again, I don't want this to be like personal therapy for you. This is not like that, that that's for your private life. And, you know, I absolutely, uh, want to help. I guess I just, you know, thank you very much for sharing that much because, uh, with the intention of once again, going back to the beginning of the episode, um, helping others, you know, like you have your story, Ashley has her story. Everybody, a lot of people have their stories, your brother. Um, and so many times we see them individually, we put it on the, per- the person. What did you do wrong? You know, you could have done better, blah, 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 blah. And sure. Okay. For an individual story, but when you add them up, which is what my job is, like as a person who, who is into labor, when you add them up and I've worked with tons and tons of workers who they get into a job and it's all the love right and they and it's all the care and that care is just leveraged and squeezed and there's not much left and it's like you feel like a dummy for caring so much but you couldn't do it otherwise you know the customer expects that care so like i had to care in order to keep the job right so then my invitation in terms of, you know, we'll close it out a little bit uh, and making this, um, you know, broadly applicable. My application is for people who are kind of hearing this and, you know, like they're asking that question, well, why didn't you just leave? Well, you all, that person tends to also expect immediate answers, excellent products that you can't have both things, people. You can't have both things. You can't have you can't be able to just leave a job, you know, ask somebody to leave a job, not complain, not disturb them. But on the other hand, expect them to be responsive to your needs. That is not a thing that can happen. You're, you're, I see here that you're nodding pretty vigorously there. Yeah, I, it's, <laughs> it's true. It, the uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too thing was just a common feeling with Greg. Um, I, I think this is a good way to, to encapsulate it. One of the angriest I ever was with him um is the project manager had just gotten that job and was meeting with gray and i don't know if you've seen the triangle of like things can be fast they can be quality or they Mm -hmm. can be cheap yep um but you have to pick two of them they can't be all three uh the project manager explained this to greg and greg said i'm not sure it works that way (laughs) 
And the project manager was relaying, relaying this to me mm -hmm. after the fact. Um, I had just finished a uh, soda and I threw that can across the, the parking lot because it was like, mm -hmm. are you kidding? This is exactly what the problem is. He, he expects, wants all three. He wants all three. He wants all three. Um, Fast, cheap, and quality. Yeah. Right. And we all tore our hair out trying to make it and it destroyed us. Right. Okay. The future. Right. Uh, so um, what is, what do you, you said you were designing, you said you're still building and you've mentioned the Patreon. Uh, we've been open about the fact that one of the reasons to, you know, have the conversation is to try to, you know, get yourself, get your, get the word out there uh, about what you're doing. So let's just do the thing. So what are yeah. you uh, putting out into the world now? Or want to? So it's called Puppet Rebel Press. Um, in fact, that's the name of the company I wanted to start when I started school. So that's been a part of me and in the back of my head the entire time at the Broken Token. Um, you know, initially I wanted to design board games. So I'm doing that uh, as well as, you know, I was really good at designing organizers um, and I would like to continue that. Uh, so I'm trying something new. I'm designing them out of cardstock, mm. um, kind of different types of tuck boxes, but I'm doing interesting things with them or trying to. Um, and the reason why I like the Patreon model is uh, I, I don't really have a specific goal. Um, I don't have a specific product. There's material questions uh, because of the state of the world right now. There's uh, production questions. Um, you know, so my, my loftiest goal is if, and I, I wish the Broken Token could have headed this way too, would be like a board game producer here in the US um you know from the ground up miniatures the whole thing like we could have if we had invested in it uh i'm starting from square one um and maybe eventually i'd get to that point too like i'd like i'd love to self-produce my own games mm. um and i think i have the the capacity to um it's just not the money at the moment uh mm. so i'll start small um you know so i'm hoping i can get enough patrons that i can design things that get people excited. Um, and, you know, I'd like to build the ground up with a focus on workers. Um, you know, my company is co-owned between me and my siblings. Um, I'm not a CEO. Uh, you know, I'd like, I'd like it to be worker owned um, in that all profits are split between everyone, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, because I don't like how, I don't like how things are run uh, for workers. So we've hit a lot over the, this conversation. Is there anything that we're missing? Is there like a significant thing we're missing? Do you think we hit the all, you know, the emotional part and the labor part and the your personal journey and everything? Like, do you think we've kind of been comprehensive? Yeah, we, we've covered most of it. The one thing that uh, I would like to say, um, I've touched on a lot, but this is something I want to hammer home, um, is that uh, Greg is a symptom. Um, and I, I really don't, I would be really curious if you could get him to have that conversation. Cause I, I would like to know some of his state of mind, but part of it is I don't think he thinks he's done anything wrong. Um, you know, like I said, he, 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 he idolizes like billionaires and stuff like that. Um, and so many people have gotten their fortunes on, by stepping on the backs of workers. Like you and I especially know this to be true. Um, those are the ideals that we hold in this country. Uh, how, it seems. Uh, iPhone. 
right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this um, iPhone did not fall from the fruit of uh, a wonder tree or whatever it is. It was a product yeah. from a lot of, uh, you know, strained workers and, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot put was put on people and we enjoy the benefits. So we don't think about it, but then that's why these conversations are important. And the thing is, is like this, I never thought that that lesson would hit quite so close to home. You know, I've worked at other jobs, but they didn't matter as much to me. So it kind of made sense for them to have crappy jobs. I thought that was the place for outside of the world. But here in the board game industry, well, apparently there's crappy bosses here too. Um, so, you know, for your customers and the people that, you know, liked anything that I did, um, I'd like us to be vigilant and pay attention to the people that are actually making the things that we enjoy um, and listen to them when they say things are rough. Uh, because we all want everyone to be at the table, you know, um, we want everyone to be playing games. Uh, and we can't do that when we're, you know, so just distressed and, you know, full of despair because of our jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our invitation here is for, you know, again, start a conversation. This is not uh, judgment, you know, uh, at least on my end, right? I do not want this to be the judgment. This is, you know, testimonials. And I hope that this inspires conversation rather than just like closes people in their opinions. That's what I always hope, but <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think that we've covered everything. Um, you have your Patreon. That is the thing that we're going to look forward to. Uh, and we'll see. You never know. Like, you know, that you didn't even know about Broken Token seven, eight years ago. Now, then all of a sudden it became a part of your kind of uh, life. And, you know, I think, I hope that you've answered the question of like, okay, why stay? Uh, you know, because we care. And, you know, we can't just separate our job from caring. That's the model of work. That's the model of that kind of bossing. But it's not realistic when it comes to, you know, a low margin but high fun uh, thing like this. So I hope that we've uh, been able to get, get that message across and other messages as well. So uh, thank you very much for being so vulnerable and for coming on the show. And, you know, I hope that this is not a, the last conversation that we have. I Thank you. We can uh, connect either, uh, you know, in a future video or in a convention, a little bit happier uh, circumstance. So, uh, but again, thank you for being so vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, when I reached out to you, you said I uh, contacted the right person. And I think that was absolutely the case. Um, a great talk with you. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to your videos and, you know, what the, uh, the industry will look like in the future. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. <laughs>